Why don't you introduce our guest? Mr. Jim Henneman, uh, former Orioles beat writer for the Baltimore Sun. He is uh, a columnist here at Press Box and, and also the official scorer out at uh, Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Jim, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Pasty. Stan, how are you? Uh, we're doing good, Jim. Uh, excited that the season is nearly upon us. Uh, before we talk about the real reason that I wanted to have you on this week, uh, which is Frank Robinson, we just got into a little conversation about Jonathan Scope. What kind of season are you looking for from Jonathan out there in Minnesota? Well, it's kind of hard to, to predict that based on the way he he finished up, but I would expect that he would bounce back from the, the Milwaukee experience. I just uh, – from the distance, I just felt like he he just wasn't prepared. I don't think he ever thought he was a part of the of the makeover. I just don't think he adapted too well. Yeah, uh, I really haven't seen the spring, so I don't really know how what's been going on uh, with him down there. But you know, I would expect to you know you know hit a, hit a few home runs, hit two fifty plus, two sixty maybe, twenty twenty five home runs and good defense. All so. right. Well, Jim, the reason we wanted to have you on, you wrote a great piece in the uh, February edition with Joe Flacco on the cover. You wrote a great piece, a tribute to Frank Robinson, and it's been six, seven weeks since his passing. Um, your reflections on on it now and the impact he had, which we did this follow-up piece this week, Jim, online, which was the responses you got from a lot of people in the world of baseball. Well, you know, I, I just kind of thought, you know, thinking about it. I mean, number one, even though even though we knew Frank wasn't doing well, um, you know, you're never really quite prepared to, to you know, to try to summarize a guy's career in, in in situations like that. So, you know, it's kind of what comes off your head first, and you, you kind of try to put it together, try to make how that makes some sense. Um, not really knowing if you're. You know, you, you have any order to what you're what you're putting together or not? Um, and uh, when, when it was when it was all over, I mean, as you remember, that, that was right around our print deadline. And uh, you know, after it was over, I mean, I was satisfied with the piece, didn't? But you know, I I didn't really feel like that I did his career justice. But in thinking back on it, you know, I'm not so sure that that was really possible anyhow. And but I, I do think that the 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 feedback to me or the feeling that I got later was especially when I saw some quick responses from people like Jim Joyce who was a former umpire and, and several other, you know, you know, the Dave Tremblay and a couple other mm-hmm. executives and all. I, I thought, you know, I really wonder if, uh, if Frank ever really knew, I mean, you know, Frank, you know, he had that hard shell. He wasn't, you know, it wasn't easiest in, in a world to crack sometimes. And, uh, you know, I, I think we all understood how he adapted to Baltimore and Baltimore adapted to him. But I, but I, I just started to think about, you know, I wonder if he really realized, uh, you know, the impact that he had on a lot of different people. So I guess that was a little bit the reason for the follow-up thing. I don't know. Maybe that was an ego trip or something. But I just nah, it, was well, it wasn't. It was, it, was, it was an interesting show of respect yeah. for the job you did, but more importantly, the man that you – profiled you know and i think it was uh i think both pieces were really beautiful and touching uh to get to get responses from like murray cook and you know people throughout the game uh was genuinely well that was yeah that that was the thing that kind of struck me uh uh 
you know that it was uh, so I, I in that in that regard I thought it was uh, I thought it was good to follow up with it from from that standpoint and I, and you know you know the interesting thing is even though even though I knew Frank from the very beginning I didn't cover his first spring training but I but I did cover from his first game on for a couple of years but you know for really for the height of his the his career really. Uh, I was with the Bullets, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the, for those middle years, and and I really got to know him uh, maybe because I wasn't a writer anymore for a period of time. <laughs> uh, but you know, as, as as you know, I mean, he was he was a big fan of all sports, and he was a big basketball fan. And uh, so, anytime he was in town, uh, you know, I I knew that he would be at, he would be at the games when we were home. Boy, did he and, love uh, did he love the Lakers? Oh, oh yeah, I'm sure. Yes, he did. Yes. He did one, and one of the actually the the first time I saw him after the trade was uh, was in L A. and I don't remember whether I don't remember whether that happened to be the year that they were all star game was there or whether it was just a Laker game. But uh, that was the first time I saw him after the trade. I do remember that. Either covering him as a player or when he managed a team here, did you ever get the Frank stare? Oh, I'm sure I did. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe sometimes I wasn't even aware of it, but. Um, I certainly see it a few times. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I did. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's all. You know, everybody, everybody has one. Everybody has one of those. Why would you ask a question like that? Yeah, you know, right. everybody's got one or two of those in them. So I'm sure I had more than my share of them over long, especially when he was more, more so when he was managing. Jim, um, Jim, what was the impact that you think Earl Weaver had on Frank? The fact that they their their careers intersected. You know that, that's really kind of interesting because uh, obviously Frank was Frank was well established as as a player before Earl ever got on the scene. Sure. So, um, and, and that you know that transition it did seem to me was pretty seamless. I mean, uh, 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 I mean Earl at the time was the youngest manager in the game. Frank was uh, you know one of the, was one of the more established stars in the game. Um, so. I would say that it would behoove the youngest manager in the game to find a way to get along good with one of the best players in the game. So, and I think Earl was good at that. You know, I think uh, uh, in, in his in, in the later years of some of the, those careers, he often uh, confided that the toughest part of his job, the thing that he detested the most, was uh, pinch hitting for a Brooks or, or taking yeah. a Lee May out of the lineup or stuff like that. He he did not like that part of the game at all. So I think. I think for him it was an easy transition, and uh, and I do know that that it wasn't long after you know he took over the job that Frank uh, you know approached him about going to Puerto Rico, and that was that was a part of his career. The the, the response that I got from most people nobody people remembered didn't, didn't that. Realize. Yeah. Nobody remembered well, not, that he managed. Not just yeah. not just that he did it, but that he did it for so long. How many years that, did he manage in the Puerto he, Rico? He managed in there, and I I really did not know that. I had it took me. Uh, it was very hard. To, uh, to you know, going back to the things to find out exactly how many years he had managed down there, but uh, you know, somewhere along you know, family records that he had managed down there five years. Yeah, and they, now he didn't do it immediately right from from me because I mean, like Doug played for him in the in the mid seventies, so I mean, he was down there for a good while and won a couple uh, championships down there. Yeah. Yeah, we're Bob talking. Still a player. We're talking with Jim Henneman, who wrote a beautiful tribute piece to Frank Robinson in the February issue of Press Box with Joe Flacco on the cover, and then followed it up with an online piece that people can read 
at pressboxonline.com. Look under the columnist, and then you'll see Jim Henneman. Click on it. It's a, and it's and Jim, you used the term, well, maybe it was an ego thing that you wanted to write that. It was just a great follow-up because it really uh, was very touching again. I wanted to go back to basketball for one second. I don't recall this, and I used to, my uncle, uh, who passed away a long, long time ago, used to have second-row seats. I was a ball boy for the 65 Bullets when Mike Farmer was the coach uh, for seven games or six games. Yeah, very briefly. Yep, and then, but I, and then when they got good again, uh, Frank was an Oriole player during that time. When Unseldon, Monroe, and Gus were really in their prime, was he down there much? I know he went back to L.A. during the off-seasons. Right, but yeah. But did he come down and periodically and get to know those guys a little bit? Yes. I don't I don't know that he – I mean, he, he never was uh, – you know, to my knowledge, you, you know, he never went to the locker room or anything. Mm-hmm. He was just there. How much, uh, you know, these guys may have, have conversed uh, off the field, I really don't know. I mean, it, it's funny you don't – Sometimes these guys develop the, the the professional athletes develop relationships with other professional athletes in ways that they they know better than we do. I mean, in other words, it, it, it's not going to be by going to a game and then, and then going to the locker room afterwards or waiting, hanging around. That it, it's it, more than likely it's off the field or off the court. So yeah, my guess is that they, there was a probably enough of a relationship that he got to know those guys a mm-hmm. little bit. But it wasn't like he was there every day. Yeah, I mean Palmer was there probably a lot more than he was. But right. and and several the other guys who lived in the area. But but the only I do know is that when he was in town, he was there. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know he was a, he was a big fan. And, I'll tell you uh, who the biggest fan was back in those days was John Sterling, who was doing a, a talk true. show yes. on WCVM. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He loved his basketball, John. Right. Yeah, we're talking yeah. with Jim Henneman. Jim uh, had you on to talk about Frank, but you've been down in uh, Sarasota for over a month. Uh, what are your what are your reflections or perceptions of what's going on down there? Well, you know, I don't, you know, I don't have. Of course, the first thing people want to know, you know, what I, I don't really have. I don't, I can't say I have expectations. I mean, I think that you know there probably isn't going to be a prognosticator in the world that's not going to pick the Orioles to finish last in the AL East, and I certainly am not going to be one to break that trend. Yep. Uh, I think it's been an interesting camp. Uh, there's some interesting. Uh, some of these players are interesting players, but you know the the makeup of the team right now, even at this late date, is still kind of up in the air. I mean, there's going to be a. We do know that, you know, we're going to open with three rule five guys for at least the first 17 days. I think it is that Arubo is uh, he's got to stay before he can he can go back out, and I'm sure he will. Uh, there's some things that are that are going on uh, that I think I don't think necessarily what you see on opening day is what you're going to see on July 1st. Uh, you know, I think guys like Rogers, I think Rogers, the pitcher is going to is going to surface somehow in the in the rotation. Whether whether they're going to start him in the bullpen or start him in Norfolk, I really don't know. It doesn't look like. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I would have told you I thought he was he was a lock to make one of the, mm-hmm. the uh, one of the rotation spots, and I, I still kind of feel like down the road he's going to be there, if for no other reason, to get a left hander into the mix. Yeah, and uh, uh, you know, which and he's. Uh, you know, one of the new cute words is is pitchability, and that's a word I hear, a word I hear a lot uh, to describe him. So it'd be interesting to see how that works out. You know, the the Hayes, Mountcastle, Santander. You know, there are some guys that they actually have some hitting prospects. I think the problem is 
they all seem to be playing the same position. You know, everybody everybody's a first base DH type, and and of course we know how that's playing out right now. I mean, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a logjam and, and to a degree an albatross because you know you got to get you know you've got to get something out of that position. Um, so I'm I'm kind of I mean I like the, the two rule five guys, but I think that the you know Martin and Jackson. I, I think that the Jackson is you know is a versatile player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know we got to be realistic here. If, if either one of those guys hits above 250, it's going to be a plus. And uh, and you know I mean Joey Rickard is having another great spring, and he's still a tough read for me. Uh, but uh, you know he he does some things that you like. But let's face it, you know we just you know there's no. I was looking at the roster the other day, and there's I mean there, there's no all stars in this roster. I mean let's face it. I mean there, there's going to be one because there has to be, but. There really isn't an all-star on this roster, and and uh, and probably isn't going to be for another year or so. And uh, it's going to be a tough gauge. I mean, I you know I got my email the other day about trying to lay out ex- expectations. What would you, how would you gauge improvement? And I, I, the only thing I can think of is is that the one loss percentage of the entire organization it needs to get better. You know, and maybe that's how you judge it. Maybe you judge it on the number of prospects that that might climb into the top 100. Or the top fifty, uh, you know, maybe you're judging on on uh, how if, if minor league teams win any pennants or anything. So maybe that might be the the best gauge. It's it's going to be a tough it's going to be a tough year. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I kind of you know I can go back. You know, we can all go back far enough to bad times, but we can't all. But I don't think any of us kind of really understands the rebuild part of it because actually there was a build. And then there was a, t- you know, the other times when the team went bad, it wasn't like it was torn down to start over again. That right. wasn't the case. Right. It just, it just wore out. It just wore out and it started over again. Well, one thing that's got to get torn down and start over again is Chris Davis. How do you see that as the they head into this year? And can something be done where he just, uh, you know, can become a productive part of this lineup? Trust me. If I could answer that question, I'd be talking like a liar. I'd be talking like a liar real quick about a nice job because you know. I mean, I I'm on board with most everybody. I mean, I I think that it's a lot of that has got to be a mental approach. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, that's. Uh, I mean, you just don't go from 53, 47, you know, whatever 50, whatever home runs, and and then and then you know just not produce anything. So. I mean, I still hold out some some hope that there's there's something there, but frankly, it has not shown up down here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really hasn't. I mean, uh, Jim, I got one last question for you, and that's about a player that I'm having a hard time personally reading on whether two, three years from now we're going to be talking about the Trey Mancini from 2017 or the Trey Mancini 2018 what does this guy's career arc look like? It might be to you. You know, two years. I mean, we look at it and we say one year was good, one year was bad. But you know what? Home runs were the same. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so it's the average. And you know, I always go back to the uh, to the thing of beating into a player's head. Hey, the difference between a two fifty hitter and three hundred hitter is one hit a week. Yeah. And uh, you know, an everyday player. I mean, that's twenty. You know, that's twenty six over hits, the course yeah. of the season. Over. A, you know, with a guy like Cedric Mullins, for instance, that might be a, that might be a bunt hit here or there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not the case with Mancini. Uh, 
uh, you know, if, if you listen, if, if you believe in all the on the, the exit velocity theories and stuff like that, then you go by that and you say, well, he hit in bad luck. I don't, I don't believe in bad luck. I don't, I don't, you know, I just think good hitters, good hitters hit and, yep. and, and bad hitters hit in bad luck. I mean, it's, it's just, we're, we're not good luck. I mean, uh, just because you hit a ball hard doesn't mean it's not going to be caught because, uh, you know, there, there, there just is a difference between, between a, a line drive to left and a line drive to left. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not the, it, it's not the same. So, you know, with him, you know, I think this year, I, I mean, I almost, and of course this is going to be a tough year to gauge him by because he'll be in the middle of a, uh, of a lineup that, that maybe is struggling, you know, and, and he's got to be a key guy. That's not going to be an easy scenario. So, you know, who knows? I mean, it may, may be down the road. And I mean, I, you know, you hate to start out talking about it like this, but yep. You know he's he's a possible trade chip down the road too. Yeah, because so, we got a lot of guys in the system that are going to be playing first base, and uh, all right, uh, you know, no matter what they what they do with Davis. I mean, I mean they, you know, they got three what three years that three years of the left of the contract. I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so actually four. He's four he's, years. He's yeah, this got year four plus years. Three, yeah, yeah three, so, this year plus yeah. three more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, so, Jimmy. I mean, there, there, there will definitely come a time when that'll have to be addressed. I yeah. Mean, but. Uh, I don't think there's any choice. Somebody said, well, they just, I, I think, you know, I really think Peter Schmuck in the sun, uh, I meant to tell him this, he had needed a great scenario on the Davis thing. You know, most everybody thought the Orioles are too cheap to sign him. And now they think yours are too cheap to release him. And, right. <laughs> and in many cases, the same people, you know, are saying that I thought that was a great, I thought that was a great summation That's of the great, situation. Yeah, it is. But you know, you, you make an investment like that. You try to, you watch it carefully, but, do you just throw it away? So uh, I just don't see that happening, at least at least not this year. So. All right. Jim Henneman, uh, you're the best, still the best. All right. All right. Do, we'll do we get you. the black and, and orange uh, tuxedo on the opening uh, day? Of course. Okay. Yeah, well, just want to make sure. Knows? Yeah, hey, listen, I get, you get to the point you don't know how many of these opening days you got left in you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work <laughs> this one. Who knows? It might be the last one I work. So, right. uh, you, you know. So, yeah. Why, why, why change it now? Safe, yeah. safe travels back up here, and we'll see you on April fourth. We love you, Jim. All right, guys. Thanks. All right. There you go. The best. All right. The best. Still That's writes. True. Still writes some of the best stuff uh, out there.